Hi everyone. Welcome back to Invisible Scars. This is Michelle via piano and today is um, Sunday, May 10th, 2020 and it's Mother's Day. And I decided to talk about uh, some things that I um, grew up remembering about my mom and, and different situations. And over the last few days, so many people have been posting questions or comments. And a lot of it was, you know, what is what was something that you learned from your mom? And what was what's the favorite item that your mom has cooked for you and, and things like that. And I, I found myself feeling very um, sad or just not excited about what my answers would be. And part of it was because when I was a little kid, my, my parents got divorced. Uh, I was pretty young. And um, I, for the most part, lived with my dad. He had custody of us, and um, and I didn't really see my mom. And I grew up thinking my mother didn't want me. Um, and that I should be very happy and, and fortunate that I had a stepmother that was willing to be there and to take care of children that weren't her own. And with that being said, I remember times where there was always arguing and fighting. And sometimes I, I don't know if they're actually my memories, if I remember them or if these were things that were told to me. But some of the earlier memories that I do have are, I remember a birthday, my birthday party, and uh, I can vividly see a living room um, or a dining room. And we walked down a couple of steps and you were at a table and my parents were fighting. And I remember my dad um, pushing my mom's face into the birthday cake. I remember a really bad fight and police coming to the house and taking me and my sister out. I remember being put on the countertop, which I, I couldn't tell you what that house looks like, but I remember being lifted and, and, and put, placed on the counter. And um, I believe the police officer was putting shoes on my feet and the, he put them on the wrong feet, but they were trying to get us out of the house. And <clears throat> one of the most vivid memories I, I have, um, my house was really close to the elementary school and we walked to the elementary school and we had um, a dog, an English sheepdog. And I can't remember if it was a, a male or female, but the dog's name was Pepper and she was I think it was a she, was black and white and one of the sweetest dogs. And um, I just remember her uh, laying down on her like I kind of do with my dogs now. 
But I remember one day she got out and we couldn't find her. And I remember walking to school and she had been hit by a car. And she was on the side of the road. It was awful. But my father said, well, it's your mother's fault. She left the garage open and the dog got out. And everything was always my mother's fault. So when my family split up and my, and my parents got divorced, um, we ended up living with my father most of the time. And my dad always told me that was because my mom didn't want us and she had an option. She could have the kids or the house. And she chose the house. At least that's what I was told. Um, my mom was supposed to see us every weekend or every other weekend. I, I don't really remember that. But um, there was always an excuse. My dad would tell us, like, or I think she, I think she was supposed to see us every Sunday. And... Saturday, I remember my father telling me, well, your mom called and she's not coming tomorrow and she's got stuff to do and you're not going to see her. And I remember being upset. But then in the morning, my dad would take us out to breakfast. We'd, we'd go to the diner. We'd, you know, drive around. Um, and then we would kind of forget about it. Well, I came, I came to accept the fact that my mom just didn't want me or my sister, and we had a new family. I had my mom and my, I had my dad and my stepmom, who um, was only 14 years older than me at the time. So she was 20 or 21 when she married my dad. And, um, you know, I felt like I should just be thankful and grateful for having a family and, and a, a mom who wanted me because my mom didn't. And I called my stepmother mom, and we were not allowed to talk about my mom or her family or anything in the house. It, it was a big issue. And my stepmother had, um, when I was in second grade, I was making my communion, and my stepmother was pregnant with my brother. I remember being at the church and somehow my mom found out it was my communion. Um, but my mom remained friends with my dad's side of the family. And I remember my mom coming to the church because she wanted to see me receive my first Holy Communion. And of course, there was a fight and an argument and... My mom was yelling at my stepmom, and it was it was just a, a day that was ruined. Um, some other memories that I have are um, when my when there were times that my family moved around a lot. And I never understood why. You know, we lived in, at one point we were in Brooklyn. At one point we were in um, Bayside. At one point we were here. And then we ended up in Long Island. And so when I 
was in my late teens, my mother got married. And when her husband found out that she had two children that she didn't see, he was livid. And they got an attorney, and they found us and tracked us down, I guess. And um, we went to court. I remember being in the courtroom. I remember being terrified. I remembered hating my mother because she didn't want me. She chose the house. And now all of a sudden she got married and I'm like, I don't even know, 15, 14. I don't even remember the age. And now she wanted me. Why? Because she got married. So I remember um, the judge asking me if, I was brainwashed, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And I didn't realize what it was at the time, but there were things that my dad would tell me and my stepmother would tell me, and that was my reality. You know, that was what I knew. So we were ordered to see my mom uh, for a weekend, and I remember being in the car with her and her husband and I had no idea where we were going, but um, it turns out that, you know, they lived in Nassau County, and I grew up in Suffolk County. So I remembered the streets that I was passing in case I had to leave and find my way back home. And um, I remember being miserable the whole time. And when we got home, I couldn't wait to get out of the car and run into my house. And of course, my dad and my stepmother were outside. And it turned into a big argument, story of my life. You know, they were always fighting. And my friends were outside, and my dad and my mom and my stepmother were yelling. And uh, I remember running in the house and locking everybody out because I didn't want them in because I couldn't take it anymore. So years later, my father ran into one of my mom's sisters. We lived very close. I, I don't think I realized how close I was or how close I lived to my whole maternal family. And uh, one of my aunts said to my dad that you know she would love to talk to us. And my dad gave me her phone number. And I was so excited. I remember saying, oh my God, I remember Aunt Maureen. And I remember the kids and my cousins, and I, I remembered so many things that I kind of put, I guess, in the back of my mind. But I was happy to be able to um, have a number, and I, I called my Aunt Maureen, and I remembered being so happy, and she was so happy, and um, we started spending time with my family, my mom's family. And my father was very very adamant about the fact that my stepmother, who we had to call mom, was not to know. Um, it, she would be devastated if she knew we were seeing my biological family. Can you imagine that? Um, and the craziest part was my father is the one who Saw my Aunt Maureen and got her number and gave it to us. Well, to make a very long story short, and like I said, this is going to be um, probably season two of this podcast, but 
we spent a lot of time at my aunt's house with my cousins, and I really didn't want to see my mom. But eventually, my family said to me, listen, you don't know the truth. You know what your father and your stepmother told you. Just, you know, we need to really tell you some of the things that happened. And that's when I learned that uh, my mother didn't choose the house over us. She didn't have uh, the money. You know, we're talking, gosh, I hate to date myself, but we're talking 45 years ago. And at that time, women were not as strong as we are today. Women didn't have the financial means that women have today. Nobody really respected them in the world of business. Uh, they, it was different. It was really different. And um, so I came to find out that my mother um, kept the house because she, you know, my dad was willing to pay for the house and my mom couldn't afford everything. And so she kept the house and, and was supposed to see us and everything was supposed to be okay. And that's not what happened. So all these years, I was told my mother didn't want me. And I came to learn that my mom tried to find us and had visitation rights. And every time she was supposed to come, there would be an issue and we wouldn't be around. And my my mom um, would come to our house and then we wouldn't live there anymore. And I, I do remember living in a couple of different homes, different locations, and I, I couldn't stand moving. And um, when my brother was born in 1976, uh, my stepmother was in the hospital and my dad bought a house on Long Island and he didn't even tell my my stepmother and she had my brother and we moved and it was crazy and, and once again we moved so what I learned again is that my mom did try to find us and and um, every time she would go we wouldn't be around or my father would call her and say the girls don't want to see you and it was all lies. It was, you know, my dad was telling my mother one thing and he was telling me something totally different about my mom. And um, when I was a teenager, my mom remarried. And when her husband found out that she had two children that she didn't see, he was furious. And he helped her hire an attorney and tracked us down. And I remember being in court. I don't remember how old I was, but I want to say I was like 15 or 14, if my memory serves me well. And I had to speak to the judge. And I, I told the judge, I don't want to see her. I hate her. I this, I that. And um, the judge asked if, if we were brainwashed. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what that means. And um, anyway, so my mother got the, uh, the order that she had to spend a weekend with us, and we had to go. And we went, and I remember being miserable. And I think it's just because I was I was scared. I, I thought all these years that my mom was this awful person. And as we were driving from Suffolk County to Nassau County, I, I remembered looking at the street signs 
so that if I had to get home, uh, I would know where I was going. And I don't know what the heck I was thinking at that age. But anyway, when we got home after the weekend, uh, we pulled up to our house and I ran out of the car and I, I couldn't wait to get away from my mom and her husband. And, um, of course a fight started between my stepmother and my dad and my mom on the front lawn. And it was awful. And my friends were outside and I remember crying and running in the house, locking the door and not wanting anybody to come in. I just didn't want to see them. And after that, I never saw my mom again until that day when my father saw my Aunt Maureen. So when we finally, I finally decided, all right, I will talk to my mother and hear her side of the story, um, it was hard. It, uh, it was hard to see her. And I remember when I did see her, she seemed nervous and um, like, I don't want to say weak, but very unsure or not confident in herself. And it was so strange. Um, she didn't seem happy and, and we ended up talking and I started to realize how I had been lied to my whole life. And um, I started a relationship with my mom. And when my dad realized that we were seeing her, he told my stepmother that um, I had run into my cousins when I was in college and that I had been seeing my mom's family. Never once admitted or told my stepmother that he ran into my Aunt Maureen. He got her phone number. He gave it to us. He told us we could call her if we wanted to, but we just couldn't tell my, my mom, technically my stepmother. And I got a phone call at work, and my father said, uh, your mom found out that you were seeing your cousins and your family and uh, all of your stuff's on the street. And they basically threw us out of the house. So at that point, I was forced to uh, live with my Aunt Maureen for a little bit, and my sister was still in high school. So I, I don't know if she was 17 or 18. Uh, I think she was closer to 18. So I was, tw I was almost 21. And um, after a, a few months, my, my mom and her husband decided we were going to live with them. And uh, we moved to Nassau County, and we both had our own room. It was really nice, but it was it was tough. I was now in my twenties, and um, I was living with my mom, who I didn't even really know, and her husband, who at the time I didn't like. Um, and it was it was hard, and it part of the challenge was that my mom didn't raise us. And so she wanted us to be like her or like my cousins or um, the rest of the family. And we just, we weren't, we were different because my dad 
and my stepmom had raised us. So it didn't it didn't work out. Um, my sister and I ended up moving out because we were arguing all the time. And again, this is a whole other podcast. But the reason I, I wanted to talk about this is the fact that the patterns repeat. And it is so scary because when I was going through a lot of my situations with Jordan's father, I couldn't help but think about my childhood and the fact that Jordan and I were pretty much the same age when my parents split up and when I left her dad. And um, I didn't have the ability financially to leave my house. I had no family around. I had no money. Um, and it was very difficult to to be able to be on my own. And when um, when I finally decided, uh, you know, to marry my husband, my current husband, Paul, because um, I was never married to Jordan's dad, but uh, my husband decided, listen, we need to get. Jordan, we need to fight for your daughter. And he kind of did the same things that my mom's husband did for her. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is so crazy. This is um, exactly what happened with me as a kid. And at one point, Jordan's father did tell me, that she could live with us in New Jersey after I got, you know, whatever. And so I get married, and then he tells me she can't. And when we did go to court, the attorney or the judge, uh, the attorney told me that the judge said, if she wants her kid that bad, tell her to move back to New York. And then she can have her child uh, the majority of the time and um, everything would be fine. And the challenge for me was that my husband and I lived in the house that he grew up in. Um, it's a, a beautiful house, great property. Paul and I had planned on having more children and I had to now make a choice. Do I keep um, my daughter full-time and move to New York and have my husband give up his home? Or do I have my daughter go back and forth and, and split custody? And I remembered instantly that this was a decision my mom had to make. And it was probably one of the hardest decisions that I ever had to make. But I could not make my husband sell his home or give up this house. Uh, and then the, the attorney's like, well, you know what? Just, you know, you live in a condo. Just sell the house and move to the condo. And it was a two-bedroom condo. And like I said, Paul and I wanted to have more children. And um, the, the attorney said to me, you know what? A home is what you make of it. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't matter if it's two bedrooms. If you want your kid that bad, 
uh, you'll, you know, you'll move to New York. They even told me I could live in Rockland County, which if I told you how close Rockland County is to where I live, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's not even six miles away. But if I moved that six miles to New York, gave up the house that my husband grew up in, I could have my daughter full time. So I was forced to make that decision, and and I made the decision not to move. And I questioned that decision for 10 years. Um, However, I drove back and forth 38 miles each way to see Jordan and take her to school and go to all of her events. And I was her Girl Scout leader and, and all of that stuff. But again, that, that pattern repeated from um, me being in an, a relationship where my ex was verbally abusive and, and always fighting. And it was so parallel to my uh, life as a child and, and the relationship that my parents had, uh, even down to, like I said, being in court at almost the same age and um, having to choose so many things. And I, I found that I made a lot of the same choices that my mom made. And I was angry at myself for a long time because um, partially because I was so mad at my mom and then I was making these same choices and I, I chose the things that my mom chose. And I it made me realize how difficult it was for her. And, um, you know, the relationship I had with my, my stepmother was not the greatest. Um, and again, we'll go into that uh, next season. However, that relationship with my stepmother made me a great stepmother to Jordan's brother and sister. And I always said to myself, I, I now, you know, I know why I, I know I, I, why I went through this. I, I went through this so that I was, I knew how to be a good stepmother because the one that I had wasn't the greatest. And uh, it was painful as a as a kid growing up in that house, and I did everything in my power to make sure that was not the type of stepmother I was uh, to those kids. And um, to this day, I still see those children, as I've mentioned before. They're 30 and 25, and they spend a lot of time with me, and um, we have a great relationship. And... Um, as my mom, you know, when I, when Jordan was born, my mom was so amazing with her. She, you know, she, she would come over, we would drive to see her. She was so excited. And um, in probably 2001, my mom kind of, um, didn't want to go anywhere anymore and she didn't want to drive and and she was kind of very to herself she was keeping to herself a lot and 
I remembered being angry. I was like, what the heck? You know, like I, I finally have her in my life and she's this and she's that. And she was older, but not really old. She was in her 60s. And then in 2002, in June, uh, I, I believe it was June 3rd, 2002, I got a phone call from my my uh, my family and they told me that my mom was sick and that she had lung cancer. And I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, no, you need to come out here. And I drove out to the hospital and um, it turned out it was stage four lung cancer that had spread to her brain, her liver, her kidneys, her bones. It was all over her body. And that was devastating. And so my mom passed away three months later, August 5th of 2002. And it was, it was crazy that I felt like I just got her back and she was gone. Anyway, <clears throat> so that being said, I, I stuck it out for a few more years in that relationship, as you guys know, until I decided I, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and, and I left because going back and forth, even to see my mom in the hospital, he would fight with me. He would start arguments with me. It was it was awful. Um, when I married Paul, he knew my mom had passed because uh, we, we had been friends and um, he knew the whole story. And uh, after we got married, he was, he always made an effort to remember on, um, he's not really good with his memory, but he tried to remember her birthday and then, and he would be off by a day or so or whatever, but, um, and the day that she passed and even his mom, you know, my mother-in-law, she would call me on what was my mom's birthday, which is so funny because her birthday is December 7th. And I remember my father very clearly saying, of course, of course, your mother was bo was born on December 7th. That was Pearl Harbor Day. And she was this and she was that. And it's funny because I haven't thought of that in God knows how many years. But anyway, over the years, I realized that my mom kind of was stronger than I thought. And the fact that, you know, 47 years ago or 46 years ago, um, to be able to handle the things that she handled was monumental because things just were not the same as they are today. You know, uh, today you go, you go to court, you actually have a voice, you know, you, I make, you can make a good salary, you're respected in the workforce. You might not be paid as much as some of the men are, I know from experience, but it's it's a different world. But she was strong. She was strong for her her time. 
And whenever I speak to my family, I always compare myself to her. And they always say to me, Michelle, you were stronger than your mom and your mom tried and and you've done so much to make a better life for your daughter. But I always had this doubt in the back of my mind that I I didn't do enough or um, it wasn't good enough or I didn't fight hard enough for Jordan. And that was one of the reasons when um, Paul and I went to court, we had talked about this in, I think, episode six, but I'm not sure. But um, when I was forced to make that decision, you know, uh, you either go to trial and you run the risk of the judge telling you you don't, you won't have your daughter and she will live with her father, or you settle out of court and you make um, an agreement with her dad and and that's how you're going to live the rest of your life. And Paul wanted me to fight and I didn't want to fight. I, I It's not that I didn't want to fight. I was so afraid of losing her. And Paul knew that if that happened, that I would never be able to forgive him. And he's right. We would have, it would have been the demise of, of our relationship and our family as we know it. So um, as we got older uh, and Jordan got older, again, a lot of those things that I went through as a child were happening to my daughter. She was in court at the same age that I was. She was forced to speak to the judge. But the difference is that I never said anything to my daughter that would make her think less of her father. She did not know half of the shit that he put me through or that he said, or that he did. I never ever spoke badly about him. Even though I wanted to, I wanted her to know the type of father she had. Um, I, I didn't do it. So Jordan went into this decision uh, on her own. You know, she didn't have horror stories from me. She didn't have horror stories from my husband or any of my friends. In fact, my friends um, all, you know, acted like everything was fine with her dad and they maintained a great relationship with him for Jordan's sake, despite the fact that they wanted to, you know, knock him out every time they saw him. But not saying bad things about her father allowed her to make the decision on her own without being brainwashed. And I'm glad that I was able to do that as much as I always wanted to tell her what an ass her dad was. Um, she got to make that decision on her own. But what's interesting is every once in a while, she still feels something's missing. She knows how he is. She knows what he's done to me, what he's done to Gina, what he's done to her brother and sister, his family. And every once in a while, she feels 
something missing in her life, and and that's her father. And I I I understand that it's her dad, um, but the fact that patterns repeat scares me, and I don't want Jordan to end up in a relationship like the one that I had with her father. I want her to have a, a better life experience than that. You know, I think of all the, all the years that I was with him and how miserable and sad I was. Um, and I don't want that for her. And, and now, even when she's um, upset or hurt or just really angry at her father, she'll look at me and she'll say, should I call him? And I look at her and I say, why? Why do you want to call him? And she'll just look at me and she'll say, I don't know. I just feel like I want to talk to him. And I'm like, well, if you want to talk to him, talk to him. I, I don't care. And then I, I get a little upset. Um, not that she's calling him, but because I, I worry that she will get roped back into that situation. Um, despite all of her hurt and the pain that he has caused her, she's She's still drawn to him. Anyway, um, this has been very, very obvious in, in previous choices that Jordan has made in relationships. She has gravitated to boys, guys, men, whatever, that were so much like her father, it was scary. Um, and I have an amazing husband, and, and yes, we argue and we bicker and whatever, but he's always been um, kind and considerate and thoughtful. And I would always say to Jordan, can't you be attracted to someone like Paul? Uh, and she would run around the house saying, uh, you guys are goals, goals, relationship goals. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And she's like, I just, I want to have a relationship like you and Paul have. And yet that was never the direction that she was going in. And then finally something clicked and she decided to stand up for herself and, and not be in those relationships and, and actually, you know, find someone that is considerate and cares about her and um, respects her and her family. And um, it's a nice change. And I, I hope that these patterns don't continue for her. Um, I've tried to educate her and, and explain to her how important it is to really know what you want um, not to make decisions that, you know, you don't think through. Um, you know, I just want her to have the best life possible. And I look back and sometimes I'm like, I feel like my childhood or 
I, I don't even know what you would call it, but it was like taken from me. You know, even being in college, I didn't get to enjoy it because um, when my sister graduated high school and we were thrown out of the house, I had to figure out how to uh, support me and my sister, support myself and my sister. And part of that was working full time and, and dropping out of college and um you know, that was really tough for me, but I did what I had to do. And I think it's part of the reason why I wanted Jordan to live on campus and I wanted her to do certain things. And um, it has definitely molded me into the parent that I am. I'm very open with her. We talk about everything. I don't ever, ever remember my parents saying, I love you, or hugging me, or cuddling on the couch. And maybe it was the time, you know, we're, again, many, many, many years ago, things were different. But um, I remember being in the hospital with my mom, and I was rubbing her leg. And she had her hand on my hand. And she says, it's a shame that um, it took me dying for us to be able to do this. And I think that's what made me make the decision to be the type of mom that I am. I think I tell my kids I love them a hundred times a day. And it's not fake. I, I do. I look at them. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. I love you. Or whatever. And you know, they like to snuggle and they like to cuddle and Jordan, not so much now as she's getting older, but every once in a while, she's like, Can, can't you cuddle with me? Um, to the point where, where Paul says, oh my God, you've created a monster. Marissa wants you to lay down with her all the time. And I'm like, you know, I know she's nine and I, yes, sometimes I don't want to lay down with her, but I wouldn't change it. So maybe I'm a little crazy, and yeah, I lay down with my nine-year-old daughter, but it it fills a void that I had my whole life. Anyway, so I actually am home with the girls today because I told my husband to take a ride down to see his mom because that's his mom and he needs to see her. And as much as I do love my mother-in-law, um, during this time of social distancing, I I didn't want to, you know, have everyone in the car for a total of four hours and and not be able to go in my mother-in-law's house and and hug her and and everything. So uh, we chose to stay home with the kids. And the crazy thing is, all they have done is <laughs> they've been arguing all morning. So I decided to come up here and record. But um, again, I, I wouldn't change it. I wish they didn't argue so much. But deep down inside, I know that they love each other. So um, anyway, I hope everyone has a great Mother's Day. Um, I didn't mean to make anybody sad or anything like that. But it has been such a weird 
couple of months, as, as everybody knows, with this quarantine and social distancing. And um, I said to my mother-in-law today, I, I feel like I have been robbed of so many things. I, my birthday, we were on quarantine. Easter, quarantine. Mother's Day, quarantine. Um, but it has given me a lot of time to really uh, spend with my family. So I'm happy about that. Uh, I do miss the rest of my family. So I hope everyone has a great Mother's Day, even though it snowed yesterday. So weird. Um, I hope everyone enjoys it. And thank you for listening and letting me get this off my chest because it's it's been bothering me for a while. So um and uh, actually, I totally forgot to mention this, but four years ago, I learned that my father was married to someone before he married my biological mother. And um, four years ago, I found out that I have a sister who is 10 years older than me. And... Um, It was so weird, but when I spoke to her, I felt like I had an instant connection to her. And we don't see each other a lot, we don't talk a lot, but we text constantly and we, I feel like I have known her my whole life. And again, this story will come out um, in another season, but um, when I talk to her, she tells me, she has told me that her mom, part of the reason why her mom left my father, our father, uh, is because he was uh, uh, abusive and not the nicest person. And he, you know, he went into the army and when he came home, he found out about my sister and, and uh, they ended up getting divorced and he signed away, signed over his parental rights to her. Um, but as she got older, uh, she learned she was adopted by her stepfather and, um, she was 17 when she found out. And, you know, this is just somebody else whose life was impacted by, um, by a parent and, uh, she, had a really difficult time, you know, coming to terms with it and not seeing um, siblings. And um, when she started telling me that her mom actually told her about my father and how he was and, and how abusive he was, everything kind of started to make sense. And it, um, it just showed me again the magnitude of emotional and and any type of abuse. So sorry to bring that back up, but I really wanted to talk about that. Um, anyway, happy Mother's Day. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, tomorrow I will be recording again with Gina. Um, definitely will be an interesting conversation. And thanks again for listening to Invisible Scars. Hope you have a great day. Never Alone Again, 
Domestic Violence Organization and Resource Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was created in 1999 to offer empathetic support for victims of domestic abuse. Motivated by personal experience and the awareness of a need for a safe haven, NAG was developed. We are a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing high quality and individually tailored support services to victims and survivors of domestic violence abuse and families in need. www.neveraloneagain.org